Don't be fooled by this shabby hat, beneath this hat hides a top business acumen. This little black boy named Bernard is a shoe-shining boy, but pay attention, he chooses to set up his stall in front of the bank intentionally so that his customers are all rich white people. He doesn't care about the little money earned by shining shoes, he works slowly so he can hear the financial secrets white people are talking about while they wait. As soon as they leave, the little boy would write it down in a notebook. All he really wants is the valuable financial knowledge he heard from them. From a very young age, he knows that his lifelong dream is to become a banker. This is Texas in 1939, a place where black people are oppressed by severe discrimination. His father tells him sadly that his dream is impossible, but Bernard's eyes show determination against all odds. Fifteen years later, the grown-up boy moves to Los Angeles with his wife, Eunice, and children. The racial discrimination here is not as serious as in his home, so he decides to start his business here. The family of three has to live in a dilapidated utility room of one of his relatives. Still, Bernard promises his wife that they will move out soon. He starts as a real estate agent and searches for houses for sale everywhere in the city. Through keen observation, he finds that the black community in Los Angeles is overcrowded, while the white community still has many empty houses. Black people have rental needs and financial strength, but there is no market. This is a great business opportunity for real estate speculation and renting. He sees a white-owned apartment with weeds on the front door, obviously not in very good condition. Still, only he sees the advantage of the house's location, which is adjacent to the black area. He goes to the owner and says that you only rented out half of the apartment, so why don't you sell it to me? I'll give you $30,000 now, and I'll give you another $5,000 when I rent out all the rooms. Although the owner admires his idea, he doesn't want to do risky business. Bernard expresses his understanding. Before leaving, he suddenly glances at the owner's calendar, which shows that it is given by a local bank manager. So an idea comes to his mind. He says goodbye to the owner and goes to the bank directly, where he finds the manager who sent the calendar. The manager's secretary, who discriminates against black people, refuses to introduce him to the manager. He waits for a few hours at the bank door, and when the manager comes out, he stops him immediately. He says, I know one of your VIP customers, the business I do will benefit him, and I hope you can approve a loan for me. But the bank manager rejects him without thinking. That night, he receives a call from the owner. The owner asks him, did you use my name to try to get a loan? He has no choice but to apologize. Unexpectedly, the owner doesn't blame him but admires his belief that he will not give up until his goal is achieved. The owner decides to guarantee the loan for him, so he gets the first loan in his life from the bank and buys the property. An old white lady has just come home from shopping when she sees a black man at her door. What are you doing? She asks with a sharp voice. The black man answers calmly, I'm renovating the apartment building. The old lady speaks with a mean face, workers like you should be careful. Bernard responds, don't worry, this is my building, and I will definitely take good care of it. Speechless, the old lady goes home angrily, and the police come soon after. They tell Bernard that an old lady called the police and then ask him if he pretended to be the owner and contradicted her, 
Unexpectedly, Bernard takes out a copy of the real estate certificate. It turns out that he has foreseen trouble, so he is prepared in advance. The police realize that the house really belongs to him, so they leave in a huff. That night, Bernard returns to the apartment building. The old lady at the door sees him and immediately tells him to get out because it is not the time for renovation. Bernard still replies calmly, I am not a renovation worker now, I am the owner. The old lady is dumbfounded, and a few days later, she moves out angrily because she doesn't want to live in the same building with black people. As soon as the old lady leaves, Bernard rents out her house to a black lady. Sure enough, the black tenant market is huge, as he has foreseen. The building is quickly filled, and Bernard gives the negotiated follow-up payment to the former owner. The former owner admires Bernard very much and offers to start a business with him. Bernard chooses the house and calculates the income, and the old owner negotiates the transaction and signs the contract. With him in front, white people won't know that they are doing business with black people, and they will split the revenue. Bernard readily agrees. The cooperation between the two goes very smoothly, and they make a lot of money immediately. Bernard also moves from an apartment block to a mansion shortly after, providing a happy life for his beloved family. This is his wisdom, when someone discriminates against him, he will not punch back, because then he will fall into other people's game rules. He wants to play his own rules. Rational, economic, and maximum profit is his ultimate goals. However, life does not always go smoothly, and challenges can arise at any moment. The former owner who works with Bernard is old and frail and dies suddenly a few years later. His equity in the company is inherited by his wife. This woman severely discriminates against black people and doesn't want to cooperate with Bernard. She contemptuously offers to buy Bernard's shares at a very low price, and if he disagrees, she will sue him. In that era, when whites and blacks litigate, who do you think the judge would favor? Bernard is not willing to be treated so unfairly, so he decides to go to court. But he had to find someone to testify to prove his cooperative relationship with the old owner. He thinks of the bank manager, but the manager has already cooperated with the widow and avoids Bernard again. Extremely disappointed, Bernard stands in the bank and looks around. The neat and tidy bank building shows systematically discriminatory fangs everywhere. Just because of the color of his skin, he is often scorned when he walks into the bank. Thinking of this, a bold plan gradually rises up in Bernard's mind. There are four banks in one building, and each of them has closed doors for this black man. At this moment, Bernard's mind generated a genius idea, I will buy this building and see who of you dares to discriminate against me again. So Bernard finds Joe, another black real estate developer in Los Angeles, and tells him his plans. At first, Joe thinks he is out of his mind because the land price of the building is extremely high, and never has a black person ever bought land in LA downtown. But after discussing it for a while, Joe discovers that Bernard is not a delusional man but a thoughtful rationalist. Why does he want to buy this building? Because as long as he owns the building, the bank inside will serve him, they dare not refuse to give him a loan. They will also disclose the real estate trend to him so that his real estate business will be smoother. Joe is shocked by his idea, 
but after thinking about it, he believes it will work. Although he is extremely wealthy, he is also subject to white people everywhere. If he can step on white bankers on white land, he will make more money. However, they still cannot negotiate transactions with white people directly, so they need a white person as an agent. In this regard, Bernard already has an idea in mind, Matt, who has been helping him with renovations. This guy is an honest man, he's also very ambitious, just a little inexperienced. So Bernard and Joe set out to train Matt comprehensively, teaching him golf, high-class manners, mathematical thinking, and real estate. Matt lives up to expectations and quickly becomes proficient at golf. While playing golf, he can calculate real estate valuations, just like a young and promising entrepreneur. At a golf club, Matt meets the owner of the bank building. Of course, this encounter is also arranged by Joe. The conversation goes well, Matt gets the chance to buy the building, and the rest will be negotiated. But Matt doesn't know how to do it. Don't worry. Before the negotiation, Bernard helps Matt make all the preparations. He first counts the number of lights on in the building after dark, calculates the vacancy rate of the building, and then gets the building estimate value. Through the building's annual revenue and operating costs, Bernard prepares any numbers that might be involved and asks Matt to memorize these numbers before meeting with the owner. As a result, no matter how the big boss bluffs about his property, Matt is always one step ahead and gives out the exact number, which shocks the big boss. The accountant beside him is also dumbfounded. They all think that they have encountered a math genius and can't fool him at all. In the end, Bernard gets the building that is initially priced at more than $2.4 million for just $1.56 million. From then on, whenever Bernard goes in or out of the building, the president of every bank will come to shake his hand. The little manager who made things difficult for him in the past is shocked. With the support of the banking industry, Bernard and Joe's real estate careers expand rapidly. They break the strict zoning of Los Angeles's black and white segregation single-handedly. Many young and promising blacks move into white neighborhoods. Soon after, they even get received by the vice president. Several years later, in 1963, Bernard takes his family back to Texas to visit his father, Britton. After their dinner, Britton tells Bernard that he's proud of his accomplishments. The next day, Bernard walks around town with his son. Before they know it, they are standing in front of the bank where Bernard worked as a shoeshine boy. At that time, Texas was the most racist place in America. They meet a young boy shining shoes just like Bernard used to when he was little. To Bernard's surprise, the boy will only work on the shoes of white people. This little incident touches Bernard and awakens his sense of responsibility to his fellow man. He secretly makes up his mind that he must change the status quo and help the black community in his hometown get better housing. The next day, Bernard visits Joe and tells him that they should buy the mainland bank in Texas. Joe thinks Bernard is out of his mind for even thinking about it because the racism in Texas is so severe. But Bernard manages to show compelling reasons to make the purchase. In the end, Joe agrees to help Bernard out. They recruit Matt again and use him to be their frontman once more. 
They meet with the bank owner, Robert Florence Sr. and Jr., to discuss the numbers of the deal. Despite Florence Jr.'s suspicions, Sr. sells the bank to Matt and his partners. With the mainland bank acquired, Bernard gets to work and starts helping the African Americans in town get approved for loans. It would seem that Bernard's goal is to help his fellow men get a fair chance at housing and even money-making opportunities. Things go well for a time until Florence Jr. starts investigating the loans that their bank approves. One day, Florence follows Matt and meets up with Bernard and Joe. He confronts them about the loans they approved and threatens them with a letter from the U.S. Treasury Department. He says that the department will inspect the bank's operations in one month. As Florence Jr. leaves, the guys discuss their next moves. During that time, Matt comes up with a suggestion. He suggests that they buy another bank and transfer the problem loans from mainland to that bank. They discuss the purchase of the bank of Marlon Moore, and Bernard says the main problem is overseeing the operations of the bank. In response, Matt suggests that he be allowed to run the new bank. Bernard expresses his discomfort with the idea, but he eventually settles with letting Eunice keep an eye on Matt. In the end, Matt gets to run his bank just like he wanted. The next day, Matt meets up with a lawyer and starts signing loan contracts on his signal. Sometime later, Matt receives a call from Florence Jr. regarding clients that want to withdraw all their money from mainland. To make matters worse, a federal bank examiner arrives at Marlin. To help Matt, Bernard forces himself to dress up as a janitor so he can get close during the meeting. Unfortunately, it doesn't make a difference since the examiner discovers a critical problem on several loans. Bernard is in disbelief that the absurd loans got approved. Eventually, they learn that it was Florence Jr.'s doing all along. It turns out that while rushing to run his bank, Matt skipped protocols and used a lawyer that Florence recommended. Through that, Florence was able to sneak in the problematic loans. Sometime later, Bernard and Joe tell Matt that the most rational move they can make is to walk away from the Bank of Marlin. Unwilling to let his bank go, Matt makes a move without letting his partners know. Joe learns about his move the next day and rushes to Mainland Bank with Bernard. They confront Matt about the loans while Florence watches the spectacle with a proud look on his face. Bernard tells Matt to get their books, but it's too late. The federal bank examiners arrive to revoke Mainland Bank's license to operate. While leaving the building, the FBI arrests Bernard and Joe. Bernard tries to stand his ground, but it's a futile struggle. Sometime later, Bernard and Joe meet up with their lawyer. They learn that their case got dragged along with some racial politics in the country. Meanwhile, Matt talks with Senator McClellan about testifying against his partners in exchange for his freedom. Matt contemplates his next move that night and makes a phone call. Matt follows McClellan's suggestions and testifies against his partners at the Senate hearing the next day. Later that day, Bernard also meets with McClellan and listens to his proposal. He gives him a choice to take an immunity deal and confirm Matt's testimonies or Bernard can say whatever he wants and go to jail. In the end, Bernard decides to say the words that have been kept in his heart for years. He talks about racial discrimination in the country. Shortly after that, both Bernard and Joe's fortunes got decimated after the hearing. The two also got sentenced to federal prison.
Florence Jr. purchases the mainland bank for a small fraction of the price paid by Bernard and Joe. Meanwhile, Matt Steiner never got charged with any crime. Several years later, Bernard and Joe get out of prison. Eunice finds it strange that the two men seem happy even after losing all their fortune. It turns out that's not the case at all. Joe reveals that they have properties next to each other in the Bahamas. Eunice is in disbelief and asks Bernard how that happened. It turns out that the man Matt called the night before his testimony was Bernard. He told Bernard about the senator's deal and apologized to him. In return, Bernard asked Matt a favor before the government could seize their assets. The movie ends after we learn that Bernard and Joe's residential properties were instrumental to the fight against housing segregation in LA, and they still have two mansions next to each other in Bahamas. <laughs>